Wedded bliss turns into a dark mystery in Lucy Foley's The Guest List. The thrilling mystery is set on the coast of Ireland, and it's my latest pick to listen to on Audible. The twists and turns do not disappoint. Listening to it felt addicting because I needed to know what happened next. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking audio titles, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers that are guaranteed to keep you on the edge of your seat. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling, after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. In the city of Durham, North Carolina, her name was synonymous with scandal. This Crystal Mangum. This Crystal Mangum. She was involved in one of the most notorious cases that we'd ever seen. She could never get away from the spotlight. Although for one man, none of that mattered. It very quickly turned into a romantic relationship. They seemed like the perfect pair. But that second chance ends in tragedy. Yeah, 911. My uncle just got stabbed. It was a steak knife buried to the hilt. It was a real deep wound, nasty wound. The investigation leaves detectives struggling to determine the truth. She claims he tried to choke her. It's hard to say who was the aggressor. But with her infamous reputation, will the facts of the case ever see the light of day? This was vindication for a lot of people. It was almost like, we didn't get you for the first thing, but we're going to get you now. April 3rd, 2011, 2.30 a.m. It's a peaceful night on the south side of Durham, North Carolina, but events are unfolding that will bring a notorious case from the city's not-so-distant past roaring back to life. It starts when 40-year-old Carlos Wilson gets an unexpected knock on his apartment door. I immediately ran to the door to see who it was because I don't get that kind of disturbance in that time of night. As I looked through the people, I saw that it was my uncle Reginald, so I immediately opened the door. 46-year-old Reginald Day lives just a few doors down, but he hasn't dropped by for a late-night chat. He's come for help. He's bleeding from the sides, up on his arm between his real blades. He's been stabbed, he's bleeding, and the nephew 
is trying to figure out what's going on. Reginald was bleeding a whole lot. It wasn't like it was pouring out, but it was too much at that time for him to be losing. I tried to keep him as conscious as I could. You know, I talked to him, tried to calm him down. Carlos wants to call 911. Reggie says, I'm not that bad. I don't need to go. He didn't think it was that serious, but I had to inform my uncle that this is deep, and it's between your ribs. You don't know if a lung is punctured or anything. You need to go get help. Carlos calls 911 and waits for help to arrive. Yeah, 911, where's your emergency? I need an ambulance. My uncle just got stabbed, and it's near his lung. I held Reginald's wound, talked to him, trying to get him to calm down. I didn't want his heart rate to exceed so much where it would pump all the blood. You know, he was bleeding profusely. Is he awake? Yeah, but he, he, he needs help bad. Oh, we're getting help on the way. Someone else is dispatching the police and the EMS there. Durham Police Department shows up, and then you first responders, which would be the fire department. They wasted no time doing what they needed to do, loading him up and taking him to the hospital. While Reggie is transported to the hospital, questions remain for police. Who could have done this? And will Reggie live to tell his story? In 1964, Reginald Day grew up in a small town just outside of Durham. He's a country boy. He liked the outdoors. He liked to fish. Occasionally, he liked him a Budweiser. Reggie never went to college. Instead, he supported himself with his passion, painting houses. He liked to paint. He was just so thrilled about painting, you know, just beginning from the prepping of the wall to the finished product. And he always told me that you can never go wrong with learning a trade, no matter what the trade may be. He was somebody that enjoyed helping other people. He was kind, had a pretty simple life, and he just wanted someone to share it with. He wanted a long-term relationship. He didn't want that fly by night. He was tired of that. He wanted to settle. That's what he was looking for. Reggie's chance would come in January of 2011, when a friend hired him to do some work around her house, which is how he first met his friend's niece, 32-year-old Crystal Mangum. Reggie Day definitely had a soft spot for pretty ladies. 14 years younger than Reggie, Crystal was a city girl, but there was nothing fancy about her upbringing. She did grow up in Durham, her dad was a truck driver. Her mom was a homemaker. She was one of three children. Her family didn't have a lot. They weren't rich, and they didn't have money to afford her, you know, all of the things in life. But she had a family that did love her. Growing up poor made Crystal long for a better life. But it also meant that she couldn't afford college. She left and went into the Navy. She served in the Navy for three and a half years. I think she enjoyed the Navy. I think that was her way of improving herself. While in the service, Crystal met the man she believed she could spend the rest of her life with. She got involved with a gentleman in the Navy. And as a result, she had a son and a daughter by him. While the relationship produced two children, it ultimately didn't last, namely because the father of Crystal's children had been hiding a big secret. He was married at the time, so, you know, if that's not looked upon favorable when you're in the Navy, and that spiraled into her actually being discharged, but she wasn't dishonorably discharged. She was honorable discharge, so, you know, it was what it was. 
Once out of the Navy, Crystal returned to Durham. She moves back to Durham to be near her family, to be closer to her father and her mother, you know, so she could have a support system, because she did have two small children. With her parents' support, Crystal not only made a home for her children, she even managed to earn a college degree. She went to North Carolina Central and got her undergrad degree in psychology and then was working on her master's. While pursuing her master's, Crystal met another man she thought might be the one. She ended up having this second man in her life. Though it did produce another child, Crystal's third, this relationship was also short-lived. She now had three children. She was trying to go to school, and she was struggling. In an effort to keep her head above water, Crystal moved in with her aunt in May of 2010. That's when Crystal met Reginald Day. Reginald was at her aunt's house where she was staying doing some painting or some maintenance work, some handyman work. She started talking to him, and he was nice to her, and she started opening up to him about her situation. Crystal had enjoyed staying with her aunt, but she felt it was a burden on her. There was quite a few people in the house, so it was a little congested and a little crowded, and I think Crystal had got a little anxious. Reggie told Crystal not to worry. She and the kids could stay at his place. At the time, he was having some problems with his rent where he was living at. It seems like the perfect situation. He's looking for a roommate to help share the rent. She's looking for someone to help her and her three children. Crystal leapt at the offer. And within days of meeting Reggie, she and her children moved into Reggie's apartment. Not only does he open his apartment to her, but he gives her and her daughters a bedroom, gives the son a bedroom. He's sleeping on the couch. It seems like he's bending over backwards to accommodate her. However, Reggie didn't sleep on the couch for long. Once she was there, things started to happen. There was more than a roommate situation it very quickly turned into a romantic relationship. Reggie Day fell very hard quickly for Crystal Mangum. Crystal was just as taken with Reggie. He was not bad on eyes, and he was a good guy. He worked hard. And he was good with Crystal's kids, too. Reggie loved kids, period. He bonded with them. He did everything he could to make them feel welcome. It seemed after years of looking for love in all the wrong places, Crystal Mangum had finally found her Mr. Right. She thought they had a good relationship, and uh, she was satisfied being in that relationship. He wanted a family. He wanted love. He wanted to just be at peace and enjoy life. However, on the morning of April 3rd, 2011, Barely a month after Crystal moved in, her and Reggie's life together seems to be in mortal danger. Reginald Day was admitted to Duke University Hospital emergency room. He was there with a stab wound and being taken to the hospital for emergency surgery. Coming up, police uncover the aftermath of a violent altercation. You could see there was some blood drops down the hall. There was a door that had been violently removed from the hinges. There was a knife stabbed into one of the arms of the couch. I'm like, the Tasmanian devil just went through here.
After years of heartbreak, struggle, and longing to find Mr. Right, single mom Crystal Mangum seemed to find the man of her dreams in the form of her new roommate, 46-year-old Reggie Day. The arrangement initially was, was a platonic relationship, but it quickly morphed into an intimate one. However, on the morning of April 3rd, 2011, Reggie's life hangs in the balance after being stabbed at his apartment complex. He had a pretty substantial uh, wound that needed to be addressed. The big one was it hit the colon, the spleen, I think the kidney, but just several of those organs, it kind of nicked them all. While Reggie is rushed into surgery, his nephew Carlos leads police across the apartment complex to Reggie's residence. The moment they walk in, it's clear that they've entered a crime scene of tremendous violence. Now I'm like, the Tasmanian devil just went through here. The TV, the tables, the furniture, the crystal glasses, shot glasses, everything in the living room was destroyed. There was blood on a couch. There was a knife stabbed into one of the arms of the couch. You could see there was you know, some blood drops um, down the hall. There was a door to the bathroom that had been violently removed from the hinges and, and as if it had been kicked and forced inside. You could see like hair that was pulled out and was laying on the floor. They came in that apartment and saw that apartment in disarray like that and to see hair over here and doors kicked in. That should have been a clue right then that there had been some harm come to somebody other than Reggie. Could there be a second victim? Reggie's nephew tells police that just before paramedics arrived, Reggie told him that there were only two people involved in the altercation, Reggie himself and his girlfriend, Crystal. He said that it was Crystal that stabbed him. Police ask Carlos if he knows Crystal's last name. That's when Carlos drops a bombshell. It was the Crystal Mangle. Here in Durham, North Carolina, everybody knows who Crystal Mangum is. The events that transformed Crystal Mangum into one of Durham's most notorious public figures date back to 2006, long before she met Reggie Day. While she was in school, you know, you have financial aid and everything, but that doesn't take care of everything. You still have to pay your bills. To make ends meet, Crystal started working as an exotic dancer for private parties. That's something that she chose to do because you can make three, $400 for an hour's worth of work. At first, things went smoothly, and the job afforded Crystal the financial breathing room she'd so desperately sought. And on the night of March 13th, 2006, the gig Crystal had booked was supposed to be a party like any other. She gets a call, would she like to go do this job? And she just knew to show up at an address. The location turned out to be a house not far from Duke University. The lacrosse team was having an off-campus party, and they hired Crystal Mangum as an exotic dancer to come to that party and entertain. What happened next would forever alter the course of Crystal's life and that of the Duke lacrosse team. Crystal said that she was raped or assaulted by three members of the lacrosse team. Of course, that in and of itself is a pretty explosive story. 
Crystal's claim prompted an immediate police investigation. They found out all of the people who were at the party, and they took pictures of only those people, and they gave those pictures to her and told her that all those people were at the party, which ones are the ones that raped you? Crystal Mangum picks out three men and says that these three men assaulted her. Within days, all three men were arrested on rape charges. The district attorney in Durham County at the time took on this case with vigor. So did the national media, who descended on Durham in droves. This case was the perfect storm. The perception of Duke for many people is that it is an elitist university for privileged young people. So you have that on one hand. Then on the other hand, you have a low-income African-American woman down on her luck, having a difficult life, and she accuses these three young men from the university of a horrible crime. The way it was portrayed at that time is that they were all drunk and were abusive. Who wouldn't? come to the aid and the rescue of a young woman when they say that they've been violated in such a heinous way. Crystal really was kind of the focus of a national fight over civil rights, over black rights, over women's rights, over all of those kinds of things. Caught up in the controversy, the university acted swiftly, severely disciplining the entire team. The authorities at Duke canceled the season, ended up uh, firing the coach. A lot of people saw Duke's reaction as over the top. It completely polarized this community. I mean, we had people who strongly supported the lacrosse players, and we had people who strongly supported Crystal Mangum. It split America right down the middle. But even as Crystal's accusation divided Durham and dominated the national news, the case against the lacrosse players started to unravel. The DNA tests came back and showed that none of the players that she had accused had any DNA connection to her allegations of sexual assault. The attorney general decides that not only was this a case of a false accusation, but that these men were totally innocent. The stunning decision left Durham's district attorney disgraced. He was disbarred and removed from being the district attorney. But Crystal faced an even tougher road. After 2006, she was pretty much a pariah or a persona non grata in this community. Her name is synonymous, so no job, no way to make ends meet. When they found out that she was Crystal Mangum, the young lady involved with the Duke Lacrosse, she was let go several times. Crystal Mangum, after this incident, found it difficult, if not impossible, to rent uh, an apartment. She couldn't go fill out an application and put her name down and say, Crystal Mangum, nobody was going to rent to her. Shunned by the community, Crystal desperately needed a refuge one that she'd found with Reggie Day. My uncle Reggie told me that, um, you know, everyone needs a second chance. They seem to be uh, uh, very happy. As they survey the scene, detectives are curious. What sort of anger has Crystal carried in her heart in the years since the Duke lacrosse scandal? And would Reggie's willingness to give her a second chance 
ultimately cost him his life? Coming up, an unexpected tip suggests that instead of being a suspect, Crystal is in fact a victim. This dude was, was trying to beat my mom. And detectives scramble to find Crystal Mangum. They don't know if she's hurt. They don't know if she's hiding. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. April 3rd, 2011, 7.30 a.m. It has only been a few hours since 46-year-old Reggie Day was brutally stabbed in his Durham, North Carolina home. The attack appears to stem from a domestic dispute between Reggie and his girlfriend, 32-year-old Crystal Mangum, a woman whose name is synonymous with scandal throughout the city. Everybody knows Crystal Mangum. She's captured the attention of the whole state and the country when she was involved in one of the most notorious cases that we'd ever seen. The Duke Lacrosse case. That was news regardless of where you were at in the world. Um, you've heard about that case. So now, while surgeons at Duke University Hospital fight to save Reggie's life, Durham police are on the hunt for Crystal. Our uniform patrol officers and our investigators were actively trying to locate Miss Mangum. She was gone from the house. She left. He didn't know what direction she went to, but she had left. We wanted to make sure not only to get her side of the story as far as what occurred, but also address if she had any particular physical injuries that had resulted from this act of violence. But the search for Crystal has barely begun before another urgent call comes in from the apartment complex where the stabbing occurred. They get this mysterious 911 call from a child. During 911, where is your emergency? Yes, from this dude was trying to beat my mom, and my mom was... Okay, tell me exactly what happened. My mom was trying to defend herself, and she, um, she had to stab her. The son basically told 911 that his mother had been in a fight and she had to leave. And so that was why the police knew where she was. And what is your name, please? Please just hurry up and get here. It really is a lot of trouble. And we just need you to get here, like, seriously. With one team of officers processing the crime scene at Reggie's apartment, another responds to the 911 call at a neighbor's apartment. They come to the apartment and they ask for Crystal Mangum. She was lying on the floor. She was obviously distraught and upset. 
Our clothing appeared torn. I recall there being a lip that was swollen. There was a small cut on the backside of one of her hands. Her hair was a mess. She looked like she was an exhausted mess. And officers had a time trying to just get her off of the floor and composed enough to transport her to the police department for further investigation. Once at the station, detectives usher Crystal into an interview room for questioning. As I walk in the interview room, I can see there, again, she is very exhausted. She appeared to have been sleeping. You know, she wakes up. She's uh, conscious and alert. I explained to her that I need to take some photographs of her, her overall appearance, as well as her injuries. I'll get you a stamp on this wall. The photos convince at least one detective that Crystal's son may have been correct when he said his mother acted in self-defense. The injuries that I observed on this Mangum, in my opinion, would appear that she had been on the receiving end of an assault. But when it comes to explaining how she received those injuries, Crystal remains silent. Crystal had been through the system before, so she knew that it was best to just ask for an attorney rather than try to talk your way out of it. She knew that it was better not to talk to the police until after you've had a consult with an attorney, so she never spoke. With Crystal unwilling to talk, detectives treat her injuries, then take her into custody. Ultimately, they arrest her for assault with a deadly weapon inflicting serious injury, which was the stabbing. However, if Reggie Day doesn't survive, the assault charges could escalate to murder charges. I think Crystal knew that if he did not live, that the charges that she was charged with would definitely be increasing. After booking Crystal into the Durham County Jail, detectives contact the hospital for an update on Reggie's status. The medical staff at Duke University had advised our investigators that they were able to uh, get him from critical condition to a stable condition uh, post-surgery, and that it appeared he was going to make a full recovery. Although without medical intervention, Reggie could have easily died. The stab wound was seven and a half inches deep. I mean, it was a steak knife buried to the hilt. It hit the colon, the spleen, I think the kidney, but they repaired all of the damage. Once out of surgery and in recovery, Reggie is eager to speak to detectives. Reggie Day was actually able to talk to the police. After his surgery, he was able to give them a statement and tell them his version of what happened that night. Reggie states that April 2nd, 2011, was supposed to have been a big day for him and Crystal. Their relationship had kind of gotten to a new level. Reggie had actually taken her to a family picnic to meet his family. This was the first time that, you know, he had kind of said, this is my girlfriend, here's my family. But Reggie says that their special day soon turned sour. When they come home from the party, there is a police officer who is in the parking lot of the apartment complex dealing with a car that's being towed. Crystal knows him, and Crystal goes up and speaks to him. She started talking to him, and Reggie got upset. Reggie got jealous, saying, you know, I just introduced you to my whole family. You know, what are you doing? Why are you flirting? He had heard or observed her uh, flirting with some unknown male or unknown individual, and he was not happy about this, and they got in a heated argument. The officer said, are you OK? She was like, no, we're fine. And he said, well, y'all can't be out here yelling. Go inside. Reggie tells detectives that he and Crystal did as ordered, but he admits 
that once inside the apartment, the argument escalated. He had been drinking, and he just got insanely jealous. I mean, this was not what he had expected. This was not what the evening was supposed to end like. That is what set him off. He went into a jealous rage, and that's what instigated his rampage. He admits hitting her. He admits jumping on her. He admits all of that. Reggie also admits that Crystal had tried her best to get away. He stated that Miss Mangum had fled into the bathroom and locked the door behind her, and that he pursued her by forcing the door in to get to go after her. Reggie said that he kicked the door in, that he actually had pulled her out. He admits pulling her hair and pulling her back into the room. Mr. Day told investigators that at the time that he grabbed her hair, Miss Mangum stated uh, to let me loose. Reggie claims at that point, he realized his rage had got the best of him, and he released Crystal. But the fight was far from over. His position was he let her go, turned to leave. She ran into the kitchen and grabbed some knives and came back at him and stabbed him once in the side. Reggie's version of events adds a new wrinkle to what detectives already know about the case. There were two people that were actively engaged in a violent confrontation. And that in and of itself can make it a complex thing to try to determine, you know, at what point and where were each party involved in the confrontation and to what degree. Coming up, Reggie's story threatens to derail the case. It did seem that, you know, he was an aggressor. You had a good argument for self-defense. And a tragic twist raises the stakes. It just came out of nowhere. It was very shocking. It was very disappointing. It was hurting. It was angry. It was so many emotions at one time. It's been less than 48 hours since Crystal Mangum stabbed her boyfriend, Reggie Day. Though his life hung in the balance, doctors were able to save Reggie. Now he's given Durham police a statement about the incident, one that suggests Crystal may have acted in self-defense. He admits they were fighting. He admits he got mad. Um, he admits he kicked in the door and drug her out by her hair. It's hard to say who was the aggressor, who was not the aggressor. The case gets even more complicated on the evening of April 6th, when Reggie's condition takes an unexpected turn for the worse. My mom called me and told me that he wasn't doing good. And I'm like, huh? He was talking. The bleeding had stopped. So I'm assuming that he was going to walk out the hospital in a few days. He started experiencing agitation and some issues. They were wondering whether or not it was delirium tremens. Was he an alcoholic coming off that? If you don't treat alcoholism, detox will kick in. And that's one of the worst drugs you can ever detox from because it affects all the organs in the body, the whole body as a whole. He starts running the fever and at some point goes into cardiac arrest, in which obviously Duke activate their medical procedures and start doing everything they can to provide life-saving measures for Mr. Day. The doctors scramble to restart Reggie's heart, but it's too late. The damage is permanent. He was in a coma for a period of time, and if he was able to survive the coma, would probably be living with substantial brain damage. 
After they realized he wasn't going to recover, that's when they went ahead and pulled the plug. It was the family's decision to pull life support. On April 13th, 2011, 10 days after the stabbing, Reggie Day is pronounced dead. It was very shocking. It was very disappointing. It was hurting. It was angry. It was so many emotions at one time because I, I'm assuming that I would see my uncle again, standing upright, walking and talking, being his happy, normal self. And I never got that chance to see him standing upright again. I had to watch him land in a coffin, and I never thought that was going to happen. I just knew after he left in that ambulance, a couple of days later, he would be coming home. And I didn't go see him while he was in the hospital, because I knew he was going to walk out that door. News of Reggie's death is just as disappointing for Crystal's friends and family. Crystal's still in jail at the time, and I'm still going to see her. And, you know, we still keeping hope that, you know, he's going to be all right, Crystal, you know. And then, you know, I let her know that he had passed away. And she was upset. She did feel bad about it because she continued. She even said to that point, he was a good man. She continued to stick with that, that he was a good man. From a legal standpoint, Reggie's death has dire repercussions for Crystal. Ultimately, for Miss Mangum, the charges that went along with this had now changed. It's gone from being an assault on Mr. Day to now the charges have been upgraded to murder. The technical cause of death is complications from a stab wound. Now facing a first degree murder charge and the possibility of life in prison, Crystal decides it's time to talk. Given Crystal's reputation in Durham, her attorney decides it's best to present her story directly to the district attorney. Crystal's version of events starts out just like Reggie's. They had went to a cookout, a family cookout, his family, not hers. However, according to Crystal, by the time they arrived at the party, Reggie was already drunk. She said he started drinking that morning at the apartment. So by the time he got to the cookout, he was being a little belligerent and loud, and she was trying to not escalate it. Crystal says that around 1 AM, they returned home from the party. That's when she made the mistake of stopping to say hello to a police officer she knew. The officer called her name because he knew who she was. And she responded, you know, just having a conversation. And I think that made Reggie angrier than he already was. By the time they got into the apartment, by the time she left, the officer who had told them both to take it on the inside and get it out the parking lot, she said when she walked into the apartment and the door closed, he just hit her. He hit her many times with his fist in the head and gouged at her face with his fingernails. She went and ran and tried to lock herself in the bathroom, and he kicked the bathroom door in. Similar to Reggie's statement, Crystal claims that at this point, Reggie relented. But Crystal says it was Reggie, not her, who'd gone to the kitchen and grabbed the knives. Crystal says that Reginald Day went in there, grabbed them, and started throwing them at her as though she were a target practice. She's trying to hide and dodge them. Eventually, they end up on the floor. She claims he tried to choke her, and that she picked up one of those knives, stabbed him in the side, and then ran out of the apartment. 
Crystal seems to be telling the truth, but authorities also know that her prior accusations against the Duke lacrosse team proved to be a fabrication. It's complicated because they have this chaotic scene and they have only two people there, no witnesses. So they have to take both of their stories and try to figure out what happened. She was charged with a second degree murder. The next morning, Crystal Mangum is once again headline news in Durham. That immediately puts her back in the news. This case probably would not have been more than a brief mention had she not been Crystal Mangum. Despite all the negative press, Crystal's attorneys are confident she will ultimately be vindicated. I think we did have a good chance to beat the murder charge. Um, I mean, I think it's you had a good argument for self-defense. But can the most infamous woman in Durham actually get a fair trial here? Anytime you have any case in which a person is in the media spotlight under scrutiny, whether it's good or bad in that community, I think you have to ask yourself, can that person get a fair and impartial jury of their peers? I think it would be hard for Crystal Mangum to get people that didn't know who she was and could be impartial in Durham. But it also might be hard to find 12 people who didn't know who Crystal Mangum was anywhere in North Carolina. So that's the challenge of the justice system, is how do you try somebody fairly when you have a person who is so high profile? Coming up, will Crystal's fate rest in the hands of her hometown? For all of her notoriety, it was kind of a double-edged sword. And when the trial finally gets underway, a key witness from Crystal's past could seal her fate. The star witness in this trial was her ex-boyfriend. We kept hope the whole time. Two and a half years after Reggie Day's death, 35-year-old Crystal Mangum is headed to trial for his murder. The question Crystal's attorneys now face is, can she get a fair trial in Durham, the same town where the Duke lacrosse scandal made her a household name? What we concluded is, for all of her notoriety, it was kind of a double-edged sword. She still had her supporters in Durham. She probably has more supporters in Durham than she does in other counties. And so we didn't actually make a request to move it. We did decide to keep it in Durham. November 14th, 2013. Crystal's trial begins at the Durham County Courthouse. A throng of her supporters packs the courtroom. We kept hope, we kept hope the whole time that she would be found not guilty. In his opening statement, Crystal's attorney makes the case for self-defense. By his own admission, she had locked herself into a bathroom and he kicked in the door and drug her out by her hair, at which point he was stabbed. That was an altercation where somebody was fighting for their life. There's no way you couldn't have seen it any other way. She had every reason to be terrified of him, had every reason to think he was going to harm her. However, the prosecution paints Crystal as a dangerous, unstable woman with a long history of volatile behavior. The prosecution portrayed her as a woman who had a lack of self-control, as a woman who was on the edge, and a woman who, you know, frankly, was going to snap at any time. It's a depiction of Crystal designed to play into every preconceived notion jurors might have about her. The Duke lacrosse 
thing was like the elephant in the middle of the room. However, due to the controversial nature of the lacrosse case, the judge has declared any specific references to it strictly off limits. It was so clear that that was underlying a lot of the questions, but they didn't talk about it because the judge said no. However, there is another less well-known skeleton from Crystal's closet that prosecutors are about to drag out into the open, an incident the judge explains they're more than free to discuss. On November 15, 2013, the state calls their star witness to the stand. It's one of Crystal's ex-boyfriends, a man named Milton Walker. Milton absolutely did not want to testify. He still cared for Crystal. He absolutely did not want to be there. He just felt that he had to be and was going to answer the questions that he was asked. Prosecutors begin by asking Milton about his relationship with Crystal. For a while, she was living with Milton, and that ultimately fell apart. But it's why their relationship fell apart that has prosecutors so eager for Milton to take the stand. He testified that 14 months prior to the situation with Reggie Day, he had been in a fight with her and that she had threatened him with a knife. But according to Milton Walker, the knife attack was only half the story. There was an argument that had occurred. She had allegedly taken some belongings of the boyfriend to the bathroom and had set them on fire. Milton had called the police. And when he was talking with her and the officers, she actually went into the kitchen and got a knife and came after him. The police intervened before Crystal could actually harm Milton. She wasn't charged for the attempted assault, but they did arrest Crystal for arson. She spent, I think, 90 days in jail as part of the arson charges. Then she went and was back living with her aunt. And then at some point, that's when she then met Reginald Day. For the prosecutors, the similarities between Milton's testimony and Reggie's death are no coincidence. Prosecutors say that this case showed a pattern of her abusing the men in her life, not the other way around. Milton's testimony was bad for us because it set the pattern of when she gets mad at somebody, she will actually go into the kitchen and grab a weapon and come back. And the state's position was, had the police not been there, she'd have stabbed Milton too. But will Milton's testimony be enough to secure a murder conviction? Or will the jury buy Crystal's claim of self-defense? On November 22nd, 2013, they reach a verdict. Crystal is found guilty of second-degree murder. Once that was announced, we were all, I mean, I was blown away because I didn't think it was going to go that way, and I don't think Crystal did either. I think the jury just found that story is more credible and said, no matter what Reggie had done, when he let her go, she had a choice to make, either leave or go get a knife and stab him. And she chose to get the knife and stab him. And I think that's what the jury believed. The day in the courtroom when Ms. Mangan was found guilty, people were celebrating. And I think they were celebrating for the wrong reasons. I felt sad for Ms. Mangum because I truly think they sentenced her from the Duke LaCrosse case. They punished her. After the jury finds Crystal guilty, the judge sentences her to 14 to 18 years in prison. The Duke LaCrosse case changed the way people see the justice system, not only here in North Carolina, but across the country. And so when Crystal Mangum was convicted in the Reggie Day murder, 
think the reaction in the community by and large was finally Crystal Mangum is going to jail because a lot of people felt like what she did in 2006, that she told mistruths, a lot of people felt like she should have been prosecuted then. So in a way, this was vindication for a lot of people who believed all along that Crystal Mangum was in fact guilty of something. That includes Reggie's family. All Reginald wanted was to be loved, to have a family of his own, something that he tried to do with Miss Crystal Mangum, to love her and care for her and her kids. And it was the death of him. Reggie's supporters were very happy that Crystal Mangum was convicted. They felt like this was the right ending for this trial and that justice was served for the person they loved. However, where some see vindication, Crystal's supporters see a travesty of justice. It was almost like the O.J. Simpson. You know, we didn't get you for the first thing, the Duke lacrosse, but we're going to get you now. People looked at Crystal Mangum as a single mother working to support her kids, to pay her way through school. I think that what has happened throughout Crystal's life has been like the perfect storm, where one thing happens, she doesn't recover, and then she continues to get involved in situations where she obviously can't handle what she's dealing with. Crystal lost her appeal in July of 2015. She is currently serving a minimum of 14 years in prison and is projected to be released in 2026. She will be 47 years old. Crystal's children are in the custody of their fathers. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the wayback machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus and the wondery app or on apple podcasts